Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt, Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Now I have it on. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this, the H2O Podcast uh, for Monday, April 4th. My name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Harvey. And we are just three episodes away from 300. (laughs) Now, assuming that everything works out okay, that means three weeks from now is our 300th episode. And Live from the Bunker is creeping up on 400, and we'll probably hit that next week, I think, maybe. Mm. Maybe the week after. So they're going to be very close to each other. And uh, it's very exciting times because, you know, those are those are some considerable milestones, you know. Who'd have thunk we'd go the distance, right? <laughs> uh, I tell you, I don't know. All right, I see Dave in the chat. Welcome. Good evening to you. Good to see you. Those of you who are with us as we broadcast live, you can leave your thoughts and share uh, whatever commentary you want. If you're not with us live, you can do the same. You can leave a comment or you can send us an email, h2o at sci-fi for me.com. And uh, I do encourage people to connect with us on Odyssey, although the live chat option on Odyssey requires you to have a channel on Odyssey. Uh, YouTube doesn't require that. YouTube, you just have a Google account, and, and you can you can leave a comment. But on the Odyssey side of things, it's kind of, kind of a way for them to reduce uh, bot activity is... You have to sign up and have to actually have a channel. Whether you put anything on that channel or not, it's co- totally up to you. But uh, one one more layer of complication for the Odyssey. But I think I think Odyssey is cooperating at least. So there we are. All right. I'm excited about tomorrow. This is something that has been in the works for a while, and it's something that uh, you and I have talked about in the past, the idea of Star Trek, the motion picture being finished, <laughs> you know? And, well, and, and considering that we got a really, really great director's cut. Yeah. 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the fact that they can actually, and, and once upon a time, Cast your mind back, all the way back. When Star Trek The Motion Picture came out, um, the fact that we even got a motion picture based on a TV show mm-hmm. was pretty unusual in those days. Yeah. And for a lot of Star Trek fans, I mean, it was it was the only thing you had. I mean, now you've got, you know, multiple shows and you've got movies and, and all of that. But back then it was... You had the, there were some books out, there were fanzines, there were, you know, there, there had been a few little comics here and there. Right. Uh, uh, Gold Key comics. I have uh, a I think few was, of those. So do I, still. Um, and on one level, it was this majestic, huge, gorgeous movie. On another level, <laughs> 
Um, this says, was also the. Dave says, "Don't forget know, this, the toys." Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's that too. I used to have. I had the bridge set. I did too. Oh, oh. And oh. I had Kirk, Spock, Ilya, and there was another one that I had. I had four, four of the figures. Are you? You're talking about. You're talking about the three-inch figures. Yeah. Ah, okay. Hold, hold, hold I had, on. I had the, I had the, the big white half crescent. Yeah. Bridge playset. Right. Hang, hang, uh, hang. Hold that thought. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta one up you here. Yeah. Can't one up me. I got to play with my toys. Where it didn't matter what you had or have now. At the time, <laughs> I had toys to play with. <laughs> so. Not only uh, do I have, I have these, and, and this took a little bit because I had to reconstruct some of it. Um, I have the, the mm -hmm. original, sure, yeah. this is the original Mego Kirk. This is not the reproductions that came out later. Mm -hmm. And I have Spock, and he's mm -hmm. got everything, has got everything with him. It took for a few weeks, a few months, to reconstruct these because the equipment belts came from one place and the phasers came from another place. And oh, sure. You know, yeah. You know, eBay's about, your friend. Easy things to lose. Yes. And, and <clears throat> one of my clients for TV show uh, uh, TV commercials is a pawn shop, and they had this. In the pond. Oh, nice. So this is Ken and Barbie in the Starfleet uniforms. The original packaging. Mm hmm And it apparently originated in a Venture store. Do you remember Venture? <coughs> kind, mm. of a, kind of a tar Target-like... Maybe, yeah. <laughs> but I had uh, I had the original Mego playset, and my sister had Ahura, and I think she's around somewhere in a box. I have um, I have Doctor McCoy's head. <laughs> I don't know what happened to the rest of him. So that's the next eBay search is finding all of the pieces to to rebuild you know reconstruct dr mccoy um i don't think i ever had scotty my my cousin and i we ha we had we would get together and i'd bring mine and he'd bring his and we'd do mm -hmm. that so um so yeah it was it was something i've got a communicator my cousin had the the AMT model kit for the for the exploration set, the tricorder and the and the communicator and phaser. Right, sure. Uh -huh. And as I get older and as I see these things out there in the wild, I'm struck by just how small they actually are. Because <laughs> I don't oh, remember sure. being that small. So uh, anyway, so, uh, Mazur says, Dr. McCoy's head, perhaps revenge from Spock for failing to connect his brain. Maybe. That could be it. Yeah. Christopher's there, says, uh, I distinctly remember having the Star Trek, the motion picture, Happy Meal, 
Alas, I don't know what became of the box or toy. And uh, Mrs. Boss wants me to uh, mention the Christmas tree. We do have the uh, the new Hallmark ornaments. Mm-hmm. So you've got the tree topper with the Enterprise, and then you've got the Mirror Mirror Universe episode figures with right, the, sure. the recorded dialogue and whatnot. So anyway, so so yeah, so there's a history there. I had a lot of fun playing with my my. Original the motion picture bridge set, although it's it wasn't quite as accurate as you and 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 you know I mean look play sets of yeah <laughs> things like that generally weren't um, but it was close enough at the time yeah. Uh, Dave says, picked up a, a, an original half sheet yesterday. Very cool. You don't find very many posters out there in the wild. Not for not for movies that old. Not not unless they're reproductions. If they're if they're a reprint right, yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that. If you can find an original like that, then you hang on to it. So. Oh no, kidding. <laughs> and I yes, think, I think I may have had Scotty as Scotty may have been the fourth. The fourth figure. I'm not yeah. again. I'm not. I'm not sure. It's been too long. I can't remember which one of us had the Klingon. I I, I want to say my cousin had the Klingon. I we had between the two of us we had Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, Scotty, and, mm-hmm. and a Klingon, and and those were the originals. Everything else that you see now with the Mego stuff, you know, uh, Chekhov, Sulu, the Andorian. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Gorn, all of those, those are reproductions. Those are those are later years that are not really Mego. It's whoever came after, whoever's doing Mego right. now. That's not the original line. The original line was just those six. Right, right. And but at the same time, the fact that those toys have even been able to be revived and be revived as as nicely as they are. Yeah, yeah, they're um, pretty impressive. There's, uh, I'm a big fan of of the old Micronauts toys. Yes. Um, I, uh, I I still have some of those, and the also big fan of of the comic that ran for several years with Marvel back when they had the rights to it. Mm-hmm. And there has been this long running attempt to revive the line by various people, and every if. If it's ever made it to stores, they've been made with such poor quality. Mm-hmm. It's really bad plastic, terrible joints, things yeah. that just basically fall apart. And um, there's there were a couple of years where at like various toy expos, there'd be like, "Look, we've got a new, we've got a new Micronaut thing," and everyone's like, "Ooh, ah!" And then it vaporwared. Yeah. Um, so, and there's been this in a, this long-running movie rumor that there's going to be a movie, and you know it's like okay, sure, whatever. But Dave says he still has his Micronauts battle cruiser and figures. All right, so mm-hmm. you, you know what we ought to do because I've got one Micronaut still, <clears throat> and of course I have all of my original Star Wars action figures. You know what we ought to do now. I I say this in jest. But there are cer- there are some people out there on some YouTube channels who probably would actually do this if they were drunk enough, right? <clears throat> Where we take the figures and all of the different things, you know, all of the, the, the different, you know, the vehicles and the ships and the whatnot that we actually still have 
and recreate the TV commercials. But not with kids, us. <laughs> we just go through the whole thing and do the do the TV commercials over again, and put the uh, effects on it like it was like it's faded, and you put the you know you put some some VHS crunchy on it, and and st- yeah, I better not think about that too much. Yeah, I better not think about that too hard. <laughs> well, and, and and unfortunately, some of this stuff just has not survived because it was not made to survive. Yeah, that's that Star Trek bridge set from the motion picture was vacuum-formed. Mm-hmm. And it was really brittle. Yeah. And ultimately, the thing just kind of cracked apart. Well, the original one from Mika was made out of cardboard and vinyl. I mean, I mean, just plastic wrapped around cardboard. Right. I mean, this stuff, these are these were... These were meant for you to play with until they broke and you bought another one. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like most of your appliances <laughs> nowadays. Oh, that too. Yeah. Um, but uh, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, five years from now, you can still go get an oven. Yeah. You know, five years after those, five years after that, those uh, uh, bridge play sets came out, there weren't any more coming out. <laughs> right. They were, they, you know, I mean, this stuff and, and the motion picture, because it was not um, the gigantic success. I mean, it was, it, it wasn't like it was a super failure. It it made um, it made quite a bit. I'd have to look up. Uh, let me look at Box Office Mojo and see how much it actually made because it made. Because I remember seeing an interview with um, with George. One hundred and thirty nine million on a budget of forty four million. Okay. And and really though that budget of a hundred that budget of forty four was not was not what it actually ended up costing uh that thing that that budget escalated so quickly because and and it's because of a couple of things okay let me let me let's let's do a little scooby doo here take people back in time because there are certain people <clears throat> Mrs. Boss likes to remind me uh, who were not around back then in the day what <clears throat> Mrs. Boss was 6 months old when this movie came out so Star So you're Trek, saying she didn't see it in the theater She actually did see it in the theater when she was 6 months old her mother took her to, to the movie because <laughs> uh, she couldn't get a babysitter so Go to the movie. Okay, so um, there's a there's a, a a a series of books, and I've reviewed them on the site. These are the voyages by Mark Cushman. Mm-hmm. Very right. very good, thorough, re- fully researched interviews, documents. I mean, he's he's had access to archive stuff that nobody's else nobody has seen in right. gobs of years, and Star Trek. As a, as a three-season television series, we hear all of this time, we hear that it did poorly in the ratings. That is not actually the case. Star Trek did really well in the ratings, sometimes number one, number two, top five most of the time, but... 
NBC and Gene Roddenberry couldn't quite get along. And Roddenberry has a history, and you look at some of the other things that he did over the years, Quester Tapes being one, and all of the different times he tried to relaunch, you know, Brave New World or, or uh, Dylan Hunt in whatever whatever configuration, you know, that sure. character got redone three times. But every time Roddenberry came up with this idea for a series, he wanted to do it a certain way, and the network wanted to do it another way. And invariably, the network would, at least according to all of these you know, stories, the network would push Roddenberry out. Because Roddenberry's a good storyteller, and he's, he's, a decent, he's a decent producer, but he doesn't get along with the suits. He doesn't play well with others. He doesn't play well with others. And so eventually he's out. Fred Freiberger is brought in for Star Trek season three. And, you know, and they moved it to the death hour on Friday night when, you know, all of that. So basically right. NBC killed it. So all of the cast, they all go and do their thing and they're all doing various different things. They're working actors. All right. They're not mm-hmm. they're not stars at this point. Star Trek was just a job. They did it. It's done. It's gone. It's over. And Nimoy's doing theater. Shatner's going through a divorce. And so he's working all the time, including summer stock, just to to pay the alimony and all of this stuff. I mean, they were hurting. And then syndication. And the first Star Trek convention in New York. After that, it was suddenly, you know, anywhere Star Trek was running on a television station, it was performing very, very well. Right. And so they were talking about, well, well, we should bring it back. And NBC made these plans to bring back Star Trek. They started actually talking about about three years after they canceled it. So it was it was very quick turnaround. They sit there and they go because because as soon as it got into syndication, it was doing gangbusters, and then everyone went, "Oh, this thing's got legs." But as they're planning for the new series, they realize that the old series is in syndication, and if we do a new series, it'd hurt the old series. So they did everything they could to sabotage Phase Two. And it drew it out and drew it out and drew it out and drew it out and drew it out. And, and, and then it was going to be a TV movie. And then it was back to being a series. And then it was a movie again. And then let's make, it a, let's make it a motion picture. Let's make it a theatrical film. Now, all of this time, they're spending money. Mm-hmm. Because not only are they doing pre-production... They're, they're commissioning scripts. Right. They're building sets. They're doing costumes. We've even got some test footage that's floated around out there. It looks fairly cringeworthy because, you know. Um, hello, what about? And, yeah, uh, Mazur says, always cringed at phase two, the previews and the footage. So we did we did have that. It's out there. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and, and in fairness... Uh, at the time, if we had got it and you were a mm-hmm. Star Trek fan, you would have been excited yeah. about yeah. that very cringy footage. 
uh, because well, and it's test footage. They're looking at what the designs of the of the consoles and the engine room. You right. know, all of this right. stuff was just basically just to see what it would look like, how it would look like on camera. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't anything for air. It was just well, let's let's test it and see what happens. And in the meantime, Star Wars happens. Mm-hmm. And now we have to get this movie out, and it has to be this major thing. But, again, you have Gene Roddenberry at Loggerheads with everybody else, including the other guy that was working on the script, Harold Livingston. They were at the point where they couldn't stand to be in the same room, weren't even talking to each other, and were revising each other in a game of one-upsmanship. Walter Koenig talks about getting uh, getting rushes, getting the sides, new pages during the day, throughout the day. Mm-hmm. That would be rewrites of what they just got new pages on because Livingston would do something and then Roddenberry would go over and do it again and, and, and all this. And they finally got to the point where it's just like Roddenberry ended up having to get kicked off set because he was causing so much trouble. And... All of the all the while they're putting all of this stuff together. Now, all of the expense of the movie, you know, like Tim says, forty-four million dollars was the budget for the movie. But the bean counters also included all of the expense for phase two development into the budget of Star Trek The Motion Picture. So they say that the budget was $44 million for the movie, but it was actually, what, 106 110 or something like that. So it didn't make money. And like I said, I, I saw a, 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 an interview with George Takei one time because they were talking about Star Trek II. And Takei was like, well, we were gonna make we were going to make a new series and then... Star Wars came out and it made a ton of money and so we had to make a movie and it made it made enough money they said let's do another one and so that's how we got to Star Trek 2. <coughs> but the expense of phase 2 all of this folded in made this thing a gargantuanly expensive project for the time and it almost never got finished. Well, and the ripple effect, you know, talking about going on to Star Trek 2, they got to the Star Trek 2 budget and they said, you can't have this much money. Yeah. Which is why we actually got the film we got, because Nicholas Meyer had to do a very different kind of film because he only had so much money to spend. Yep. Not only that, but the television department made Star Trek II. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of the reasons why the budget was so small and why they were able to manage it so well is because the TV, the TV guys are used to working with smaller budgets. And there are some reused uh, shots in there. <clears throat> and, of course, there's the famous story that Doug Trumbull always told, t- told about how Robert Wise called him and said, Doug, save my movie. And so mm-hmm. Trumbull had to go back in because the effect shots that had been shot, none of them were usable. 
it, it, ILM wasn't a thing back then, and it wasn't the visual effects house for every movie under the sun at that right. point. And Trumbull was brought in at the last minute, and they were working three shifts seven days a week for weeks to get this stuff finished. They had to rebuild the ship, had to rebuild the model because it wasn't lit. Mm-hmm. It was like you're gonna put the you're gonna put the Starship Enterprise up on screen and you don't have lights in it. You know, little things like that. So they had to completely rebuild everything, reshoot all of the effects. And then, of course, you get Jerry Goldsmith in there for the, mu- for the music. But the movie that we got in December of 1979 was not finished. And, and some- literally, they were working on it. I mean, you're tra- we're talking wet film getting yeah. shipped off here. Yeah, because... And, and- and nowadays, okay, so so here's the, for however you feel about the difference between digital and film, <laughs> is you can work on effects on a digital project up until the last minute, mm-hmm. and then you send the file. Right. All right? It is a, you know, and, and, and honestly, this happens a lot. This happens a lot, and they don't necessarily broadcast it. But this is part and parcel of the modern filmmaking process. Yeah. We hear about reshoots all the time. Reshoots are just part of making a movie. And, I mean, they, they happen. There's just, I mean, if it, you have the money, you do the reshoot. They didn't used to be so ubiquitous, but now they're just no, built they into didn't. The, par- the, the budget. Right. So, I mean, so it used to be you hear, like, massive reshoots. It's like, obviously, something's wrong with the, with the project. Right. That doesn't, it, it ain't necessarily so. It still could be. The problem it could still be a big problem with the movie but a lot of times it's just you know they get into the editing room they're like you know what i want you know we need we need to rework this because this part isn't working as well as it should so let's make it better right yeah fine back then if you are running up to the wire you're talking physical things that have to be created and, and then shipped. transported yeah I mean, it's it. Well, and Dave's right. Um, there were no previews of of this movie either, because like like Tim said, they're working up. Uh, they're working up until the last minute. So basically, when you're editing a movie and you're putting all of this stuff together, you've got all of this film that's cut together and film and you have music. And oh, your and they're and manually this. cutting. Yeah. they're manually yeah. cutting in these days. They're not. They're not. They aren't using Final Cut or Avid or no. It's all Premiere it's all anything. done by hand and razor blades and chop chop. So. The the when we talk about it being wet, you you have what's called uh, a master, and then you have what's called an answer print, and the answer print, and then you have the release print, and the, and you have this one final. This is done, and then that one gets copied. And the way you do is you run it through the projector, and you you expose another roll of film, and there's your copy. And then it's got to go through the developer, and it's got to go through the processor, and it's got, you know, all of these things in order to turn it into a film that then you can put into the projector. And there are chemicals involved, and anybody who's been in the dark room in junior high publication class, you know, you've got, you've got your, you've got your developer, and you've got your, your set, you know, the the chemical to set it, and then you got to put it in water and rinse the whole thing off. Well, these films were being put into the cans wet because they had just come out of the rinse, put in the can, shipped to the theater. 
So the theater would open them up and they'd still be wet. And and they they went into the they went into the projectors wet. It was that last minute and it was not finished. When you look at the original yes, fixer. That that's it's been a while since I've done it. Uh thank you, Robert. So the movie that showed in nineteen seventy nine did not have finished credits. Nineteen ninety one was the last time I did that. Yeah. <laughs> so the white the white te- the white text cards at the beginning of the movie um those were placeholders they weren't supposed to be the the finished credits and there was no sound mix they didn't do they didn't do a final mix of all of the sound <laughs> and the and the dialogue and the sound effects and the music or anything it was just here it is go they had four days to color correct the movie. <laughs> Folks, I don't know if you know anything about color correction, but super brief thing. Color correction in, in, in Kansas City. All right. So admittedly, we're not we're, we're you know, we well, we have a, a thriving independent scene and we and there's a lot of actually it turns out there's a lot of actually reality TV that's shot in Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but folks who do color correction, some of these folks are are just artists, right? I mean, they are they are they are geniuses at it. And you can you've got all kinds of color correction stuff built into your editing software, so you can do a lot of it. But there are folks who are just like, geniuses. you know, they are the talent at this. And those are the folks who, when you see that big motion picture that looks beautiful and lush and vibrant and powerful, there's been somebody, probably a team of somebody's. Who have spent months, yeah. plural months, going through and frame by frame making that film look that good. Unless you're Zack Snyder. <laughs> In which, yeah, it's the same. Well, which, to some well, degree, it's still color correction, degree, yeah. I mean, but to some degree, start that Star Trek is kind of like what happens when you get the Snyder look, right? So the Snyder look has got this universal kind of texture visual texture right i mean there's all of his films tie together with a sort of visual right texture you know i mean so and so what they did for star trek the motion picture was they were like uh everything's gonna look like this that's not how you want to do it that's no. not how you want to do it <laughs> but they had four days yeah four they, days. they flat out ran out of time robert says all human creation never truly finished Human endeavors just various stages of abandoned and set out the door. George Lucas used to say that a lot. It's an old, it's an old uh, uh, thing about they used to say that to us back in in art class, back in yeah. my painting days. Is is that no no painting is ever finished, only abandoned. Yeah, and and you know I had a I had a a client when I was working at the ABC affiliate up in St. Joseph, and we were putting together a TV commercial for their new. Uh, TPA treatment for stroke. This was this was back a while a, a while back, and I had the brilliant idea. Now, before there was nonlinear editing, right? So picture picture in your mind. I'm having to run a tape, run a tape, mm-hmm. run a tape, layer in, mm-hmm. run a tape. All this. So I had this this brilliant idea of copying the opening title sequence to ER. You remember all of the different layers and everything? I was like, well, sure, it's, a, it's, sure, it's a hospital. Uh-huh. Sure, why not? 
And they loved right. the idea. It was great. And we did it. And, uh, and it took me, I think, 30-second spot. I think it took me a total of 11 hours editing just in, in the whole thing. And then the tweaks, because she'd say, well, I showed it to so-and-so, and I showed it to these people. And I had somebody walk by, walk by the office and I had them come in to take a look at it. You know, all these and I finally looked at her and I said, at some point you have to decide it's done. <laughs> you know, because it's got to go on the air. You have to decide it's done. And, and we can't do everything. Because they wanted, you know, the list of symptoms for a stroke. And then they wanted to put a little countdown clock at the, at the bottom of this thing. I was like, no, 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 stop. You have to decide it's done. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think it was ever really to anybody's satisfaction. I liked it. I thought it was good. I mean, as much as I worked on it, I thought it was I thought it was fine. But it it is one of those things where you sit there and you, at some point you got to decide it's done. And and for Star Trek the Motion Picture, it got decided for them because this has got to be in theaters December seventh or else. And it was, and it went okay, and it made money, but it wasn't finished. <coughs> and then and. Well, and, and, and so you're watching this movie at the time. If you're a Star Trek fan, you're in the theater. You want to see this movie. Mm-hmm. And folks, if you've never seen Star Trek, the motion picture, first of all, um, watch the director's cut, whether it's the one that we're about to get or the one that we got uh, back in yeah, 20 years ago. Was it 90? Um, was it, when was it? 90? 90, 91? Um, was it 91 when we got the director's edition? I'd have, well, I'd have was, to look. I don't, I don't know where my, where my DVD is. Uh, Mrs. Boss, so the director's edition, the director's edition was actually 2001. There was an extended cut in, in 83. Well, there's, um, there's a couple of different versions because after, after the theatrical version, then you had, the ABC television version. Right. Well, you also had... Okay, so there and was you the had 19, the extended was, cut. There was the 80s Laserdisc edition, mm. which was the theatrical cut. That was the that was what you got in the theater. Yeah. And for those of you who don't remember Laserdisc, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, so there, 83, there was the TV cut, um, and that put more footage back in the film. Now, right. this was good and bad because one of the original complaints about the movie is the pacing. Yep. It is a, even, even in the theatrical release, it's a visually fascinating movie. Even before you get, even when you, what, what they managed to pull off and put in theaters. And that's looks, that's Doug Trumbull. That's all. It looks really, really amazing. Yeah. And it did at the time, and on the big screen, it was very, very impressive, folks. But and as was... as we've gone through the years, looking back retroactively, a lot of people have come to the have have come to the opinion that Star Trek: The Motion Picture is the most Star Trek movie out of all of the ones that we've ever gotten because of it the is, themes it... and the ideas that are explored in it. Yeah, and and I think that's a that that's a, a fair assessment for people to have. Um, but it was slow. Yeah, 
I mean, it just it just was. I mean, and and, and I love the movie, guys. But so adding twelve more minutes into the runtime. Now, admittedly, it's broken up by commercials, right? Yeah. So it doesn't have the same rhythm. But when the director's cut comes out, and this is a, at the time, improved finished effects, mm-hmm. um, and and a re-edit, and, and the film mix, the, yeah, and, and the film isn't actually shorter, but the rhythm is different. Yeah, and it was a just a, this this giant improvement and. And if you're an editor, if you've ever edited something, you know how important it can be to get the edit right. And it is also an art form, just like color correction. And some folks are really, really good at it. And some folks are really, really good at editing at speed. Mm -hmm. I am a really good editor. I am not a good editor at speed. If you give me, if you were to put me in this project, trying to get it done on that timetable yeah Good no I'm, I'm the wrong guy for the job uh, and i mean the fact that they were able to pull off what they pulled off in that time frame is pretty amazing but this reworked edit is i mean it flows so much better and it doesn't have that feeling of spinning wheels that you almost kind of got with the original yeah well, and I think the other thing, too, is there are there are character moments and pieces of scenes that were not in the theatrical cut that either made it to the TV cut or there's bits and pieces that are in the director's edition mm-hmm. that, that do help with that in terms of the pace because the the visual effects being what they are they're kind of locked in all all of the rest of it is is all of the all of the pit the bits and pieces with the people is where you do your 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 massaging of the different things and i i was very happy that robert wise got to finish his movie right and this is Robert Wise. I mean, you know, West Side Story, he was an editor on Citizen Kane. He's, you know, he's Robert Wise. And he was so completely out of his element on this. Right. And he knew it. And he was just like, okay, I, I'm just going to do the best I can with what I've got. So Dave says, Robert Wise told my editing class, never start shooting a film without a completed script. <laughs> You know, that, unfortunately, I wonder where he learned that lesson. <sighs> but the thing is, is that is that because because it is a money making industry, mm-hmm. this happens a lot. Yeah, because you've got to when when you've got to get your actors, when you've got your actors, when you've got your you know you've got the all these different moving parts, and you have to time it all. There are plenty of films that have gone into production without having a shooting script that is locked down. I don't and I don't recall hearing about a lot of them years ago. I think it happens more frequently now because they get the concept and they got the, the character. Now I know that happened with like 
Casablanca, for instance. Oh yeah, they had well, no the idea what the what the ending was going to be. They didn't, they didn't know. Well, and and yeah, so the, it, this actually happened a lot in the old days of the studio system, um, in large part because even more so than now, it was a machine to crank out movies mm-hmm. and you put out x number of films because you had some you had these people under contract um and in those days they were like uh yeah so we're going to tell you where to go how to dress who you're going to date yeah. who you might marry i mean the studio controlled these actors lives because i mean it was kind of terrifying but you would you know you were going to put out you're going to make four films for you know warner brothers this year and you that friend of yours is going to make you know six films for uh mgm you know and and that's just what happened you mm-hmm. made six movies and you know you can find if you if you hunt down the humphrey bogart horror movie um <laughs> you can see what happens when somebody who is you know not really that kind of actor is put in that kind of movie (laughs) because that's what the contract said he was going to do. Well, and, and you have this idea that, you know, Star Trek, the motion picture had to be bigger than the TV show. It couldn't just be another TV episode, but there are a lot of people that make a comparison that it's, it feels like an extended TV episode Mm -hmm. because not a whole lot happens. And you can, you know, there are people that make the comparison to uh, the Changeling, you know, Nomad that that episode sure. and and that kind of thing. And of course, the the theory after the fact that V'ger flew to the Borg homeworld, you know, it's a it's a nice fan theory. It's not canon. Well, it's more <laughs> than a fan theory. Uh, uh, Shatner's uh, uh, the Shatnerverse Star Trek novels. That's it, yeah, it's, in, it's those in those books. it's in those books. Right. I mean, Shatner right. ran with right. it, and 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 he and and uh, the Reeve Stevens do a really good job with all of that, tying all of the stuff first, together. I think you know the first three books in that series, I actually quite enjoyed, and then then I think it kind of yeah, and yeah. you know that happens sometimes. But the you know when the biggest accomplishment for Star Trek for this movie is that it put Star Trek in the movies for good or ill because as we go through various different Star Trek sequels some of them better than others some of them not quite as good and sure. when the not quite as good ones come out invariably you have the people that says well this this, this was always works better as a TV show and interestingly enough you look at something like Star Trek 5 which, if you ever get a chance to read the novel, it's a yeah. very gripping novel. The, well, the original story is much better than what we got on screen. Oh, yeah, no question. But if you there's a there's a fan edit out there in the world mm-hmm. uh, that I used to I used to have, um, and somewhere along the various computers, it, it disappeared. But um, they cut Star Trek Five like a TV episode. Mm. Oh, and they changed I've heard the, about this one. They changed the music. They changed the sound design. Mm-hmm. So it fits the original series. They put it in 4-3. Um, <laughs> and it's, and, and quite frankly, Star Trek V is a bad film. Yeah. 
but it works a lot better if you think of it as a TV, a series, like a two-part TV And And that's what story. a lot of people were saying at the time, because back then, Shatner had been directing television. Because mm-hmm. he'd been directing T.J. Hooker and some other stuff. He had not direct. This was his feature film debut, Star Trek V. And it's that reciprocity clause in the contract. Anything that Nimoy gets, Shatner gets. Right. And Nimoy already, he got to direct too. So Shatner was like, well, okay, it's my turn now. But, but uh, ILM was busy. So they had a different effects oh, house. And Bran Farron. I will have his name in my head for the rest of my life. Bran Farron. Because well, it was like, Bran Farron, who is this guy? Right. But the thing is, is that those effects end up looking like TV episode effects if you look at it as I mean like I said it's it's look it's still it's still a very imperfect film but yeah it it, and and yeah um uh Insurrection yeah Wolverine says the only Star Trek film that felt like a TV episode to me was Insurrection and it does it it does feel very much like for next for especially yeah it feels like a next generation episode And, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing I think there's so there was a there was a time and we and it's less now because TV has become such a varied landscape anymore, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have you have big budget productions running on television. You have series where they're dropping millions of dollars in an episode. You know, you have these so a lot of television has become, you know, you've got your Westworlds and your Game of Thrones and and these things where there, you know, huge amounts of money being put into these projects, and the uh, that sort of wall of of I don't do television. I'm a movie actor, mm-hmm. or or we can't. We're not going to put that person in our big motion picture. They do TV. Yeah, there was this this sort of this sort of div- hard line between the two is not there anymore. Um, and by the way, that's primarily a American industry thing. You go to someplace like the UK or or um, a lot of part of, of European productions, there's a lot more crossover. There's a lot more stage TV film crossover mm-hmm. uh, in how they do stuff. So um, we're seeing that go away for us now, which is great because it opens up a lot of really talented people to move from one area to the other and get movie stars and TV shows and, and, you know, uh, and deep fantastic TV actors, character actors who become movie stars. Um, it's, it's a great time for that. But um, TV production standards, especially at the time of like Star Trek five um, were not, the same as movie production standards and unfortunately it shows um and um you can't get it right every time i'm sorry i mean as as much as we'd love every sequel to just be amazing i i think i think we all have to acknowledge it just doesn't always happen right no well, and and you know as as much as we've gone through all of this we haven't even looked at the trailer right yeah for the new version of this so let me pull this up here because i'm not going to run the sound but i just want you to see images and those of you who are listening to this as a podcast i do encourage you to go back and look at the video 
because we have here the the video this is the official trailer for this new edition this remastered in 4k and it's just this looks great we've mm-hmm. seen on social media I, I think trek core and a couple of other places have been posting uh screenshot comparisons between this version and the other DVD and the theatrical version and looking at the color of this, mm-hmm. I mean, just, oh. I mean, the color saturation. It's like, so much better. Where was all of this color in the, in, in the original <laughs> movie? It, and the thing is, is that it was there. It's that, it's that yeah. one that flat grade yeah. they dropped over everything. Well, I mean, and look here at, at, at the, at the V'ger probe, you see right here. This is this is something that I noticed on this. This is the very first time that this first V'ger probe, you know, the lightning and everything. For those of you mm-hmm. who are not seeing this, this is the first time it's had color. Mm-hmm. It's got that blue and purple, all this stuff around and it. It honestly, never had that before. Not even in the so in much the better with record. that. It does. It does. It looks well, so much better with that, and it looks wider too. Well, it's because it's the contrast. Well, it's it's not just that, because if you remember, in the original, this here, I the way they did the way they the way they did this, they've got this giant bright fluorescent light, right? Mm-hmm. And there if you watch the original cut, you watch the original theatrical, and it's even in the director's edition that, that came out on DVD. As this probe is moving around, the shot changes. It's two different shots because what they had to do is they had to they had to physically move the light through the set. Mm-hmm. And so now there's two different shots they had to composite together and they don't line up. So it looks like the bridge physically shifts behind trailing the light. And I have to wonder if they fixed that in this one or not. We'll we'll see. We'll have to see. (laughs) It looks like they might have. But, you know, you're looking at now they're showing comparison shots. uh, And this is in 4K remastered from the original negative. And, of course, this is, you know, Vulcan as it showed up in the director's edition. Mm-hmm. which is what it was supposed to look like the first time around, but that, that's right. not what we got. We got Spock walking up, and you see the night sky, and you see two moons hanging over Vulcan, and everybody went, wait a minute, what are those? Vulcan has no moon. What are they? And I was like, um, it's it's two other planets, and they're very close together. They all come together in their orbits, and that's what... One of them is Tukut. Okay. But you've got Spock looking up that that close up of Spock when he's looking up in the bright sunlight didn't didn't fit right. And so they went back in and they fixed this and here's because this goes back to what the what the concept art looked like mm-hmm. <coughs> and and this shot does not have Leonard Nimoy in it as he's walking up to the the temple there. It's a digital Spock, right. Which at the time was wasn't possible. was 
kind of kind of cool that they actually managed to do this. But look at the color. This is going to be so much fun. And this right here, this 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 sells it for me right here. Because this is the V'ger vehicle mm -hmm. without the cloud. And in the director's edition, we finally got this. Because if you look at one of the graphics when the when the destructive bolts start going get distributed, this shape, this 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 star shape is in the sensor sensor graphic. Mm -hmm. But there was no explanation for what it was until we got the director's edition. It was like, oh, that's what that is. And now you look at the difference between what it looked like in the director's cut, the first time we ever saw actually what V'ger looks like, and now this. This is just going to be phenomenal i can't wait to see this oh yeah no, this is this is gonna be <laughs> i mean see it and hear it i mean the the audio mix on this is yeah gonna just dolby atmos it's gonna be it's gonna be fantastic it starts streaming on paramount plus tomorrow tuesday the 5th and then we find out we're gonna get screenings for it it's going to show up at, as part of Fathom Events May 22nd and May 25th. I think of the dates. So those are, uh, you know, those are mark your calendar times. Oh, God, We're yeah. definitely, I'm, I'm definitely going to the there. theater. I know, yes, right? Please. For the very first time ever. Well, and the thing is, is, okay, so, I mean, Right. So you don't get these opportunities as much as, as you'd like, right? I mean, the fact that some of these these films that are are really iconic mm -hmm. that come back into the theaters, it, it happens, but it doesn't happen very often. And a lot of times it's really limited releases. Yeah. I had the opportunity, for example, to see Casablanca on its 50th anniversary mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. the big screen. Yep. And it was amazing. Yeah. And it was wonderful. And it just about made me furious because they had. <clears throat> so the person in the projection booth <laughs> was not apparently aware that it was a four, three movie. Oh no. So <clears throat> in a large portion of the film, it's not that noticeable, but it is in some very critical places. Hmm. There's a scene where Ilsa pulls a gun on Rick. Right. Ilsa is holding it here. And you don't see it because... And he's re he's reacting, and, and you're, I'm, I'm looking at it going... So... But the the nice part was is that I worked in that movie theater at that time. Mm -hmm. So while that particular screening that I saw was massively framed wrong, I made sure that every screening since <laughs> that followed was <laughs> framed correctly, and I was able to watch it the way it was meant to be. On and you know and and just that amazing kind of thing. Well, you don't get that opportunity very often when when Star Trek. Um, the Undiscovered Country came out. Yeah. 
um, and it was like everyone's talking about it. it's the swan song. This is the one where the, this is the last original cast movie, right? This is that was kind of and um, I was living in Manhattan, Kansas at the time, and here in Kansas City, there was a screening of that film because we'd all seen that. No, it was no, it wasn't even the movie. It was a screening of the trailer. Oh yeah, and they and and there was somebody who had put together a theater that was screening all the Star Trek movies back to back, and then it was going to end with the Undiscovered Country trailer. So it was all this build up for a three minute trailer. <laughs> Star Trek fans, what can I tell you? We we're, we're nuts like that. So the fact is, I got to go back and watch some of these films in the theater again. Yeah. Um, which was really, really cool. And and we get these moments. But it's so rare that we get to get a remastered, basically rebuilt from the ground up, um, you know, from that original negative. And this is, on a technical level, this is really, really impressive and cool because there is an argument to be made that spending the money to do this sort of thing doesn't have a great return. Right. I mean, it's hit, it's really hit and miss. It, it honestly is. I mean, yeah. this is why, you know, you, you the, every, for everyone who's excited about getting something like the Snyder cut, right. Mm-hmm. There's, there's an expense to that process. And quite frankly, um, whether or not that is proved to be Warner brothers benefit or not, don't really know. Um, but honestly, if it was that profitable, you might have gotten the ire cut. Oh yeah, probably. Maybe, 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 maybe. maybe right. So well, but the thing I, is that, that is that that's rare, right? Yeah. So that's so so the fact that I mean, so kudos to to Snyder to finish his 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 movie, redo his movie. I think the air was more victim of office politics more than anything else. It's like. There's, I mean, because the, the, it just fuels the Snyder Cut fans even more. Oh, and yeah. That well, whole, and that and, thing, and I, I think fundamentally, as much as as much as I think everyone would really, you know, people are like, the haircut is going to be so much better. I think fundamentally, the core storyline was flawed. That's yeah. just a personal opinion. You may disagree. That's fine. Whatever. But, um, yeah, this is this is very very cool. I, I love the fact we're getting it. I mean, I'm going to watch it on Paramount Plus. I'm going to want to watch it in the theater and do everything oh, sure. I can to do oh, that sure. thing, right? Well, so, and, and you know, we've got we've got the other movies on 4K. The the Steel Book is out. We've got the other mm-hmm. ones that are out on 4K. So everybody was like, "Well, what about the motion picture?" Because when you start talking about the Star Trek the motion picture on 4K, which one do you do? Do you do the original theatrical one or do you do the TV extended one or do you do the other cut or do you do the director's cut? And when we found out it was going to be the director's edition, everybody kind of breathed a sigh of relief like, oh, we're going to get the real one. We're going to get the finished one. And (laughs) then we started seeing screenshots and we started seeing the, you know, the visuals coming out of it like, oh, wait, we're going to get even more than the the finished director's edition they're they're really putting putting effort into this and of course it's going to be out on on 4k blu-ray you you know ultra hd or whatever i think oh yeah i mean 
I think I'm, I want to say September. Yeah, I think like I think that. September, September, October, I mean, somewhere in there. Just in time for I mean, Christmas. Is, I mean, you know, I I when the when the director's cut came out on on DVD and Blu-ray, I bought it. Yeah, me too. I mean, and, and I don't think I've got same. a blue. I don't think I have Blu-ray. I think I have DVD. I got the DVD. I got the DVD. So we have some questions in the in the in the chat uh, or that I want to I want to touch on really quick. Yeah. Um, From Wolverine. Insurrection. Insurrection was better than Nemesis. Nemesis had a really neat concept that would have been so much improved if they had gone with Diane Duane's Romulans. Just saying. Yes. Yes. Because I mean, because quite frankly, no the question. premise of Nemesis works so much better in that universe than it did in the existing one so yeah. anyway yeah um why they never use q in a movie because they did they did it was called encounter at farpoint <laughs> and they learned their lesson <laughs> well um, and, and and he was also in the movie all good things and they brought well, him yes. back for for picard i haven't i haven't watched and quite frankly yet. in picard it's um he's it's it's so fantastic i'm in the middle of watching picard right now and just he's it's so fantastic to see him and and the fact that they're actually giving q q's character is part of the story he's not just pop in to torment our heroes right. it's he's part of the narrative and i'm like okay this is very cool john delancey being up here just ha, being you, john delancey's q it's great have I mean, you it's, called it's, the phone number yet i have not called the phone <laughs> I haven't I am, either. I am, but I, I, there have been so many different phone numbers over the years and websites, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's very cute. I'm not doing it. Um, <laughs> so, and the other question is, do you think the death of the movie star has anything to do with the slow dissolving of movie actor only versus TV actor only? It's part of it, and and some of it is is that we. The era of the big movie star, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is kind of an outlier because he never... You have Harrison Ford, but Harrison Ford generally tends to fade somewhat into the character that he's playing, as opposed to somebody More like so, a John Wayne, where John Wayne is just playing John Wayne all the time. Well, and I think that, I think that one of the things that we've seen um, is that because oh, there have been quite a few, and, and some, some of this comes out of the fact that the indie film world has gotten a lot more exposure. When I say indie yeah. film world, I don't mean Whoa. Sorry folks. Sorry folks. New computer over here and and the screen is is sometimes shifts and and it's like wow, it's really bright. New computer is um, also new key light. Oh. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. So, um, oh, very bright. Anyway, um the there've been a lot of there's a lot of those uh smaller art house pictures it used to be kind of like re regulated to finding them on dvd or vhs later right. in your video store they've they've started getting more exposure and putting stuff out and getting on the world and of course the explosion of the internet made that very a lot more accessible well and the Which other a lot of the other part of that too is you mentioned the studio system before the studios were uh were in great part responsible for the movie star 
because it was part of that whole marketing, you know, Humphrey Bogart and Jimmy Cagney and Lauren Bacall and only Warner Brothers. Only they did all of that, and then you had uh, United Artists, which got formed from I think it was Lillian Gish, Charlie Chaplin, and you know, two or three, four other actors who formed their own movie studio because they were tired of the studio system. Right. And, you know, we want to be more in control of the kind of things that we do. And that started to break things up. And then, of course, you had the Paramount decisions and all these different things. And, and the the studio system essentially fell apart the longer that they went in and oh, yeah. all these movies. Well, it, made. Quite frankly, so. it wasn't it wasn't a sustainable it wasn't a sustainable model. Um, just eventually it would it would have collapsed. Yeah. yeah, don't forget MGM. No yeah, kidding. MGM was um, real big on that. But the thing that ended up happening, I think, really is that these the the cost uh, you could if you made a film with an actor who didn't cost as much as Bruce Willis mm-hmm. or Arnold Schwarzenegger, you made more money on your movie. Yeah, and so a lot of these smaller pictures with character with people who would normally be considered character actors made it out into the world, and that sort of wedged. The door, in, the, the into the uh, the into the open the door a little bit. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, and then, of course, tastes changed. I've, you got, I mean, the '80s were really that big. Eight, the '80s and the early '90s were really that big period. Yeah. The last, I think, the last big gasp of the 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 movie the star. Movie star. Like, yeah. Tom Cruise kind of carried it on. I think, but the other... Tom Cruise has also proved that he can't. You know, just because Tom Cruise's name on it. Yeah doesn't mean it's going to be a hit. I mean, look at something like The Mummy where it's just like... I think the other part of that, too, is the fact that you don't have the 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 David O. Selznick's and the Hal Leonard's and, you know, the, the, the studio heads of today are not anything like the studio heads of the 30s and 40s and 50s where you well know, and that's you know, and quite frankly that's definitely <laughs> that's for the best thing, because yeah. some of those people were monsters well i mean and, they literally and... they literally did look at their staff as as their as their as their actors as basically being property yeah and i wasn't kidding when they said that they were going to tell you who you're going to date or who you might marry this was a thing that they did i mean just think about you know what a nightmare uh, uh fuel that is but now i mean the you know again it comes down to it comes down to money yeah and and to to, to the benefit for us as the viewer um is that because you can get some of these really great amazing actors for less money than you would get these movie stars some of them are you get you know you can you imagine? I mean, Stanley Tucci, uh, widely regarded as one of the best actors of his generation. He's got how much exposure he's he gotten over the last couple of decades that he would not have gotten, right? If we were still, you know, or or Gary Oldman, or I mean, some mm-hmm. of these folks are just. I mean, they are they are not movie stars. They are, yeah. but they're not. You know the system, the movie stars in the in the ways of the system. So well, and the, and the, Wolverine points out the the uh, this and this broke on deadline today, uh, and and in the trades, Harrison Ford, he, at his age, is going to be doing his very first television series. 
Mm-hmm. Not just a guest shot, not just a cameo. He's one of the leads in this in this sure. series called Shrinking. It's for an Apple Plus project. He's playing if you look at, if, a psychologist. If you look at the budget for that Apple Plus series, though, yeah, you're going to find a budget that's equivalent to a small budget feature film. Yep. So I mean the the and I, and I think to some degree, and it's um, a comedy too. Can do comedy. Wrap you your head around that for a second. Harrison Ford in a comedy where he's playing a shrink. Who he's decides? Have you heard the Have you heard the logline for this? I have not. He's playing a shrink who decides to do away with all of the rules and ethics and just tell the patient what he really thinks. Oh God! <laughs> and this is Harrison right. Ford. <laughs> okay. On one hand, I really want to see this. Yeah. On the other hand. As someone who really benefited from my years in therapy, <laughs> right? Um, and I, I had a fairly blunt psychiatrist, so and I was grateful for it. But there are degrees. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it'll, it'll, it'll certainly will be at least worth checking out because yeah. Harrison Ford can definitely do comedy. He's he's done it before. Um, he's, think... he's one of those, you no, know, those actors who got a lot of. <clears throat> Of course, he became. He's got his very iconic roles. But remember, of course, there was a period in the '80s and '90s where a lot of these actors were doing comedies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, Working was, girl. You, you'd get Mel Gibson, you'd get Harrison Ford, you'd get you know Danny, uh, uh, you know Schwarzenegger. I mean, come on, one of Schwarzenegger's biggest films of all time was Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> Don't forget twins. Still, it's still a really funny movie. Yeah. Well, he did twins. He did junior. It's well, and 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 kindergarten cop is better than both of them. Yeah, I will die on that hill. Well, so. the the one thing, working girl, yes, yeah. yes, working um, girl. The one the one thing to bring it back here because you're talking about the the breakdown of TV stars and movie stars and all of that. Star mm-hmm. Trek is one of those where these are all TV actors, right? They they had done some movies and they'd done some stuff you know like the low budget and the and the schlock stuff and the drive-in movie type of things you know Kingdom of the Spiders and whatnot. Menos hands of fate. Nimoy was doing theater. He mm-hmm. was he was done. I mean, yeah, every now and again somebody would send him a script, but he wasn't doing it. He was doing theater and he was making a name for himself, especially on, you know Fiddler on the Roof. He was Tevia mm-hmm. and and was doing a critically acclaimed run. And there was there was a question of whether or not he was even going to be in the movie because you know he right. still had he still had a lawsuit pending and rights and residuals and all this stuff and the the big news was Nimoy refuses to do Star Trek and that was a story that Roddenberry put out there in order to pressure Nimoy into doing it. There was some bad blood between the two of them for a while because oh, of that. Yeah. But then you have you know the TV stars making the leap to the movies, and now you know, like you say, a lot of these a lot of these TV series for streaming, they have the budgets where they can you know the we saw oh I don't know five ten years ago the migration began mm-hmm. for the movie stars to start coming back and doing uh, television projects. I mean, right. and, Sharon and, well, Stone's going to be on Blue Beetle. Which right. was going to be a streaming movie and now is going theatrical, but it was one of those things. Where like, oh, hang on, what? She's she's just hoping to make up for Catwoman. She's been carrying <laughs> that guilt for a long time, and I I 
completely support her effort oh. and desire to make up for it. Yeah. I mean, George Clooney's been apologizing apologizing for his his Batman for a long yeah. time. Uh, I really Dave, appreciate that Sharon Stone is gonna is gonna. Dave's, is gonna help yeah, us yeah, yeah. Dave's got a question. Did DeForest Kelly have some films under his belt prior to Star Trek? Yes, he was a Western yes. villain. He mm-hmm. was a villain in westerns before that. This country doctor Leonard McCoy was the first time that he had played a character like this. And it typecast him to the point where he couldn't get any more work. Right. And he well, was and old and, enough and, and, and he figured, oh, okay, I'm Dr. McCoy now, I guess. Well, and, and one of the things that you didn't see necessarily from the original TV cast moving over into the feature film space is that that didn't really open a lot of doors for them for other movies. Right. Because all of them had all kind of been typecast. I mean, Shatner was able to break away to do things like, you know... Um, TV TV shows like TJ Hooker and things like that, um, but really you didn't get those big explosions of 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 character going in new directions until yeah. you get to things like what Boston Legal. Well, and, where he's just and like Walter Koenig, his his career got a shot in the arm from Babylon Five, and right. Well, and, but and, that was years later. Right, right, and you know I think that I think that you end up. Um, you know, and quite frankly, maybe that's another episode for us to, to come back to is is the the folks who were typecast into the ground, really. Yeah. I mean, they're just they were this is the role they could never shake. When you look at someone like um was it it wasn't 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 Mousetrap. What was the film that, that Christopher Reeve did with uh Michael Caine? Yeah, uh, Death Trap. Death Trap. Death Trap. Death Trap was was almost a reaction to being typecast as Superman because if you look at the character he's playing in Death Trap, yeah, I mean it's so far removed from from the perceptions that people have of Superman. So, I mean it's you you look at that and and it didn't necessarily do any that for them. I mean I personally, I it's an okay movie. I like the play version better, no. but. And and uh, uh, Dave, it's Night of the Lupus. Uh, Lepus. Um, Sharon Night, Stone Night did not make Lepus. Basic Instinct. They, Sharon Stone did not make a film called Basic Instinct too. There was no, there were never any such movie. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> now, uh, D. Kelly did did a did a horror movie, a rabbit horror movie, Night of the Lepus, uh, starred Stuart Whitman. Janet Lee is in this movie. I've seen it from 1972. I've seen it. It's not good. It's, <laughs> it's not good. based on the novel, The Year of the Angry Rabbit. So there we go. But it is not, however, as bad as Food of the Gods 2. <laughs> now, I've never seen Food of the Gods, but I have seen Food of the Gods 2 because it somehow made it into theaters for a brief run in the 90s or late you know, 80s early 90s when i was working for a movie theater I wonder, and i saw it on the big screen and i was like what how did we <laughs> i wonder paid for this i wonder if we should do an episode sometime we do a discussion of films <coughs> excuse me films that have really cool titles oh god yeah but not very good stories Oh yeah, I mean, Maybe. 
and and spoiler alert food of the gods is about giant rabbits too so um, giant killer bunnies and it's not a monty python skit i mean it's it's <laughs> it's supposed to be a horror movie yeah so. so star trek the motion picture director's edition 4k <sighs> remastered restored even the art uh, looks i know brighter it's, just, it's cleaner it's, doesn't it more intense color everywhere. This is streaming on Tuesday, April 5th, which is tomorrow after this show on Paramount Plus. And then Fathom Events is having a screening May 22nd, May 25th. So uh, you can check that Days out. Days before I'm, my birthday. I'm Just definitely going to be, be there. And that's going to do it for us tonight. Thanks very much for all of your thoughts and comments in the chat. There are all of the different ways that you can find us on social media and the various different uh, video platforms, the tip jar, the subscribe star, the newsletter, all that good stuff. So uh, find us various different places, sign up, connect with us, and all of that. And we will do this again next week, and I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about, but it'll be very interesting and very brilliant. And MS says, Food of the Gods has several giant animals H.G. Wells story. Right. It was, it's supposed to be an adaptation of an H.G. Wells story. Yeah. And let me just tell you, <laughs> it, it shares a title. We should, we should do it, have a discussion of, well, we've kind of, we've kind of trod that ground about bad adaptations before. So I don't, have we gone as far as in name only? I don't just, think we these have. Are, these are films that, that just, I, I mean... We, we we probably should should visit that at some point. In name only. Yeah, I think we should. All right. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Uh, have a good rest of the week. Tomorrow we got Money Talk on Live from the Bunker. Full, full episodes, interviews, and, and guests all week. And then uh, Good Morning Multiverse on Saturday. So that's going to do it for us. Thanks very much for being here, folks. Have a good night. Great, guys. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2022, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 